This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. What's up, everyone? It is episode 149 of Small Talk. Saruti and Smallman are here. And I think, Steve, that we need to kick this off with the fact that we had a Freaky Friday experience. We did. You acted as me for a day, and I essentially (laughs) acted as you for a day. So we need to break this down. So basically what happened is last week we were trying to find a date to tape, and I texted Steve, what does your availability (laughs) look like for this week? And he goes, I can't do it. I think it was Thursday night, right? I can't do it Thursday night because I'm going to Fenway to a Yankees-Red Sox game. I went, what? yeah. I was like, yes, baseball. And then he goes, what about Wednesday? I go, I can't do a Wednesday because I'm going to Kansas City for the Sporting KC match. Yep. <laughs> so we need to do a breakdown here, um, report card, I guess, um, of the freaky of Friday our experiences. Experience. Yeah, yeah. So the, was that show Trading Spaces when the dudes traded wives, right? And they went, well, no, what was the show where they went Marriage to? Swap? No, Wife there was swap. A, Wife was swap. it Wife Swap? Yeah, tr- yeah, something like that, where they would put one in with another family, and the other mom would yes. go to the other family, and they would have to like I think it was wife swap. the kid, but the, like the, the other dad would still be around. It'd be weird. This is kind of like a similar situation to that. We were both in out of our elements and in the other person's element, trying to like, survive and navigate. And I'm not going to lie to you, Michelle. You know, I've been I'm not Mr. Baseball. I've been critical right. of baseball. I have not really watched baseball for the better part, of, definitely for the better part of a decade, really. Um, after growing up a pretty big baseball fan. And I've grown up going to a lot of Red Sox games and I have family that are both Red Sox and Yankees. fans. I'm very aware of the rivalry and everything that goes into it, but I'm just, I just haven't been into it. And I had a blast. I had a great time at Fenway on Thursday really? night. I did. I actually had a really, really fun time, but I, okay. There's a couple of reasons why one, and I'm interested in hearing about your soccer experience too, because I'm actually more interested in hearing about that than I am talking about my baseball <laughs> no, experience. No, we're going to stick on let baseball. Me just, yeah, let me just keep going here for a second, because there's there's a lot of really cool things that happen. Obviously, it's Red Sox-Yankees. It's right. a night game, Fenway Park. It's a beautiful night in Boston. So that's great right off the bat. Right. Uh, number two is we are sitting in an empty, essentially, box, because uh, a studio box or whatever you would want to call it, like broadcast booth, yeah, because broadcast booth. the Yankees, uh, th- there weren't a lot of uh, New York media there because they're not allowed to travel through baseball, which is kind of bullshit, yeah. actually, because um, it just there was a packed house. It was I think there was uh, there wasn't a seat uh, available, sold out. And meanwhile, like the, some media members can't travel, which doesn't make any sense logically. But we were able to sit right where the yes broadcasters were supposed to sit and watch the game in this awesome booth by ourselves right above. So, cool. so that was cool, too. The only problem was. There was a rain delay for an hour. Oh no! <laughs> and it went into extra innings. So everything I that say, I did, didn't it have a dramatic ending because I did. think I checked the box score the next day because I knew you were at the game and I was like, oh damn, so Rudy saw a good one. It did. So everything, everything I hate about baseball, it's too long. Um, <laughs> basically, it's too long and nothing happens. That did sort of happen, but it was great because I got to see the runner on second rule and extra innings, which is yeah. really cool, which I didn't know anything about. I was like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. So if you just get a free run in extra innings, and if you don't score, you automatically lose, essentially, because if you don't score, the chances I hate of you that rule. I didn't hate it. I, the, uh, JJ, John Shumsky, who I was with, he has talked about how he wishes it was it's, it was started in the 12th inning and not the 10th inning, which I think you could. there's some logic there. That does make sense. But I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool, and it ended the game very quickly. Um, yeah, it usually does. And what was also crazy was the Yankee pitcher who was in, in the 10th inning, uh, he could not throw a sh- He could not even reach the plate. He was clearly having a meltdown in front of everyone. And he wild pitched a run in and then almost wild pitched another run in. And then they ended up scoring two runs and they won the game. So it was a very exciting game. I'm not going to lie. I had a great time. I wish it was a little bit shorter. 
the drive to Boston for me is not very bad, but there's a huge difference in me going to one baseball game, one really, really good, meaningful baseball game, Red Sox Yankees, and me being invested in 162 games, most of which I don't care about, and watching them on television and having to follow that entire thing. So I think one off, I had a great time, but I still don't think I'm in on baseball year round. Damn it. I thought for sure you would at least give it a little bit more love and a little bit more interest. Well, I'd be more open to going to more games because this is fun. It's fun. You have a beer. I I didn't drink there, but if I would, you know, you're out with a bunch of people. You're having a good time. It's a hot day. You're chanting. Although I'm anti-wave and the wave was very much going there. I think the wave wave sucks. sucks. Um, sucks. I hate the woo. The woo is number one for me. What's the woo? You know, the Ric Flair woo. Oh, everyone who does the Ric Flair woo. I mean, that is so... I'm so over the woo. It was cool five years ago. And now everybody does it for everything. It's like, oh, everyone's a huge Rick. Yeah. So the woo number one, the wave number two. Also really quickly, number three, actually, I might put this in between the woo and the wave. Okay. Steve, legitimate question. Real question for you. What is it about grown men knocking over beers, sacrificing their bodies in their quest to get a free t-shirt that's being slung at them or thrown into yeah. the crowd. Watching grown ass men die for a t-shirt that they, A, don't know what it looks like, B, don't know if it will fit them, and C, is likely a, a pretty lame shirt. They go bananas trying to get doesn't the fit shirt. either. It's probably that's like an XL. Thing. That's it's why I never go after those shirts because they're always like XLs and I'm not an XL. So, But people yeah. go nuts trying to get the shirts. I agree. I mean, now as someone in college, I would do just about anything for a free t-shirt, but I feel like I've matured since then and I'm not going to start elbowing kids and, and babies and mothers in the crowd just because that's I'm right. like 40-year-old man with a beer and I want to get a, a t-shirt that I'm never going to wear. Why would you want to spill your $12 beer? Also a great point. Also a great point. I've never understood that, but I, I do understand the t-shirt thing up until a certain point. Up until like, once you get into your early 20s and you're out of college, the free t-shirts shouldn't be as exciting as they used to be. Yeah, maybe the rule is once you're a salaried employee, you should not go for the free <laughs> That's t-shirt. That's true, yeah. There was a good chunk in my college career, in my time, I guess in my career, like I was doing anything other than playing beer pong and hanging out. But <laughs> but I was sick of beer pong, no big deal. But there was a good chance where like 90% of my wardrobe was free t-shirts very college of you. I love that. Can I also flow one more theory by you? Yeah. I would say from a television consumption standpoint, if we're talking about the four major sports in America, people would rank them NFL, NBA, baseball, hockey, right? Wait, repeat that. From a television consumption standpoint and a popularity standpoint, we're ranking the four major sports in America, team sports. You would go NFL, NBA, baseball, hockey, right? I actually think you can make an argument you flip baseball NBA because NBA the NBA ratings did not have a great year. Baseball is actually sneak does sneaky right well. So one, baseball, one way or the other, it's NFL first, hockey last. Baseball regionally rates crazy good. Now nationally, that's kind mm-hmm. of a different story. But I think you know when you're watching your home team for 162, you're not really checking in on other teams on Sunday night baseball, right? If your team's playing on Sunday, you're likely you're not going to watch Sunday night baseball as well. Yeah. We don't have. No one has eight hours in the day to watch <laughs> two big This isn't games. like the NFL. Where, well, that's the thing. Is you can make an excuse for watching all of these NFL games on one day a week, but you can't Correct. do that for baseball every day. 
Correct. So my theory is if you take that order and you flip it upside down, that is the order that these are experienced best in person. I think nothing beats a live hockey game. Watching it on TV versus being at the arena and watching hockey live, way better time. Okay. I would say number two on that list is baseball. Being outside, as you mentioned, hot, hot dog, a beer. When you go to a baseball game, you settle in. You settle in to experience it. Then I would say NBA and then NFL, because at least NBA, you're up and close watching these athletes and seeing them in person is spectacular. With the NFL, you're in these monstrosities of stadiums. It's not very intimate. You don't really get to see the action as much. There's so much dead airtime yeah. because of television commercials at, an, at a live NFL game. I actually think sometimes going to a live NFL game oh, sucks. sucks. Totally sucks. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that from a TV perspective, it's oh, hockey doesn't get as much love. But when you're there and you are watching guys fight and get slammed up against the glass, it's amazing to watch hockey players in real life. It yeah, really it's, is. It, you get a sense of just how hard and tough that sport is. Oh my God, the speed, um, that, the that physicality. That on television you just don't get. Yeah. Right, the skill. Uh, I'll agree with you. NFL is definitely the worst. Yeah. Um, you know, football is a product to be watched on your couch. It just is. I'm sorry. We're two people not from the South, although I guess Missouri kind of ish. I know you're not technically claiming Missouri, but you know, you're in that area. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're in the SEC. Okay. Kind of, yeah, in you're the, in the SEC. SEC. So tailgating, I get that. That's a part of the experience. Um, I'm talking about the game itself. Right. Uh, football games are boring. There's, there's actually not a lot of action during football games. Either. No, I think there's like and, 11 minutes total of action. Yeah. So I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, I'm not a huge hockey guy either, but I get the, the intrigue and I get the, yeah, whatever it is around like the aura around hockey and why it's just cool to see live. I would put NBA higher because I just think a good NBA, if we're talking like a good game too, like we're not talking just some bullshit game. Cause I don't know who, who cares if we're talking about like a, a good game, NBA to me, especially where you're sitting, if you're sitting courtside or something, which, you know, is what's up. Uh, I've done that. What? Twice. I think maybe. Whoa. Um, gifted to me, no big deal. But wait, hold on. I want to hear about that. When have you sat courtside twice? I would love oh. to sit courtside. All right. Yeah. So I think the one, one time was definitely Celtics magic, which was awesome. In uh, Boston, I assume. In Boston. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, I don't make the track down to Orlando. I try to get up to Boston to see a magic game at least once a year. It doesn't always work out well. And then what was the other one? Actually, it was a college hoop game. It was a UConn game. Sorry. So it wasn't it was yeah. college basketball. And that was awesome too. And I'm not even a huge college hoops guy, but it was a lot of fun. It's different to see it on the court from that perspective. But I actually think bas uh, basketball is still really fun when you're in like the 300 level in the upper deck in the last row, because you get this cool view of the entire court. And it's kind of weird because depth perception is off, but you get more of a feel of the crowd and you can kind of observe the crowd and see everything that's going on. And you can absorb these major moments in a way that you really, really can't in any other, in any other sport. So I'm sure you Hockey. can say the same thing about baseball um, if you're in the way top corner. Uh, yeah, hockey too. But I would still say, I think I would go basketball one. Listen, if you ask me, hey, let's go to a Cardinals game and have a good night. I would have no problem with that. That would be fun. I wouldn't say that isn't fun. I just don't want to follow the team year round. I'm sorry. I got to take you to a blues game, Steve. You need to hear the goal horns. That is what's so fun about being in an arena during a hockey game is yeah. when they score. I would imagine so. I mean, we used to go to Whalers games when I was a kid and then left oh. in 97 and I just kind of turned my back on hockey from there. But I, I listen, I know hockey's fun to watch in person. Everyone says it's the best sport. Like playoff hockey is just a different animal. Oh, it's the most intense thing I've ever experienced in sports is playoff hockey. And I've been to Super Bowls. I've been to national championship games. I've certainly been at playoff baseball games. Playoff hockey takes it to the next level. It is unbelievable. And imagine that the Blues playing in a playoff hockey scenario in St. Louis when they had never won a Stanley Cup before. Yeah, no, it's that. This I wanted to throw off. up every day. I was <laughs> like, 
I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown every day for like a month and a half. Well, really quick though. Couldn't you say though, you would say that a, a, that hockey moment, like that tense hockey moment is bigger because there were some really intense moments in this baseball game, right? Where, you know, runners on first and third, two outs, one run lead. And, you know, there's the, I get it. I get what you said. The, there's the anticipation for every single pitch and there's this drama building. Now you don't get that every game. Then that's the problem. But I did right. get it in the game that I was at. So I was lucky, but that, that is almost as, as tense as it gets. Cause we all know like baseball, what's the old saying? That's it's a team sport. It's an individual sport masked as a team sport because it really is just one guy versus one guy. Right. Uh, it's the pitcher versus the batter. But that drama and that buildup, if it's a real big situation, it's a cool way to feel a stadium and feel like a vibe in the park. Oh, I love being at the ballpark for a good pitcher's duel too, mm-hmm. where, you know, at any moment something can shift and these two guys are going at it. Like my favorite game outside of game six, 2011, was game five NLDS Cardinals Phillies Chris Carpenter Roy Halladay pitchers duel the ultimate showdown Cardinals won not Matt Carpenter Chris Carpenter Chris Carpenter my favorite Cardinal of all time (laughs) Matt Carpenter Uh, my favorite Cardinal of all time (laughs) Uh, well what about Colt Wong no no no. he's not on the team anymore what could I I what am I supposed to do I thought you were on Nolan Arenado now because you look like him Uh, maybe but I listen I can't turn my back on Matt I appreciate he was the guy I picked from day one Colton doesn't play on the team anymore and and Arenado just got there so no 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 my yeah, allegiances can't be bought. I love it. Okay. Any other baseball observations from you? Cause I'm loving this. No, no. I want to hear about your soccer stuff. Cause this okay. is, I'm going to love this. <laughs> All right. So St. Louis city SC, which is going, which is slash going to be our MLS team here in St. Louis invited me to go to Kansas city with them for the Kansas city, San Jose game as kind of a scouting trip. So that there was a, a few people that were invited to go so that a, we could see the stadium and kind of get a grasp on what they did and what's going to be different about our stadium here in St. Louis. And also really Steve to learn about supporters and learn about the supporter Mm -hmm. section, because that is a big deal and something that's very unique to soccer and to MLS. Right. And it was so cool. It was so much fun. I got so hyped being there because I cannot wait for that to happen in St. Louis. St. Louis is going to go nuts for this team. And I thought that Kansas City had a beautiful stadium. It's, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's very well done. Very well done. And there was, I think, 18 and change that are in the stadium, which is, you know, not a small amount of people, but it felt so intimate. The way the seats are set up in a soccer stadium, particularly this one, there's not a bad seat in the house. And it just really felt like you were right on top of the pitch, right mm-hmm. on top of the field. And one thing that I'd, I had seen on TV but didn't really grasp until I got there was how close fans are to the actual field, especially the supporter section in the corner there. If a guy goes for a corner kick, there's people standing right mm-hmm. there that can be screaming at him and heckling in his face. So I could not believe that people were allowed to get so close to the players. But the supporter section there is called the Cauldron. The stadium is called Blue Hell. Welcome to Blue Hell, which I think is very cool. And it's just amazing to me how dedicated people are to their cities and to their teams that they want to be supporters. And they cheered, as you know, the entire time. They're yep. chanting. They have all, all these little nuances that make them who they are as supporters. But more importantly, they set the tone. They they dictate the energy in the stadium. And it was very cool to see them. They had the drums going. When Sporting KC scored a goal, they had the blue smoke that went off. They have different chants that they do all the time. It was very cool. And I cannot wait to see what St. Louis builds. It's going to be great. Um, does St. Louis City FC, do you guys have a nickname yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. 
any any I guess we don't want to, we don't want to break any news here, so I guess I won't give anything away. But that's important too. I just I was just curious about that because Sporting KC, getting back to them, they are one of I think they're one of the early, if not original members of MLS, right? And they're an OG team, and they have a great supporters uh, supporter group, which is about as as important as like who are the players on the field and what's your supporter situation like because that dictates how hard it is to play at your at your stadium. And Sporting KC, that's a place where a lot of the U.S. men's national team games are played because it's such a great soccer environment and the stadium's awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm pumped that you got to go there and experience that because some MLS stadiums aren't like that. Like in the Northeast where I live, there's the New England Revolution who play at Gillette, which is right. uh, it's a terrible place, to be quite frank, to watch a soccer game. Terrible. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely terrible. It's, I'm sure soccer it's games should not huge, be in football right? stadiums, period. Yeah. End of story. Also, I think sometimes they have turf too, which you should never have turf in soccer. And it always has to be national grass because sliding is impossible. So Sporting KC does it that way. And then actually the NYCFC plays in Yankee Stadium and there's a baseball diamond in the middle. Listen, it's, it's a cool experience, but it's not a real soccer experience. Sporting KC is a real freaking soccer experience. About as good as it gets in the entire States. I mean, you go Sporting KC, probably Seattle, Dallas, I know is good. LAFC has is, is, been very good. Shout out to our guy, Max Bretos. Um, there are a few others that I'm definitely forgetting. But but doesn't Seattle play? Um, they actually do play at Seahawks at, play. But that place fills up like a wow. Seahawks game. And it is loud. Also, I went to a Seahawks Rams game, I think in 2012, they played on New Year's Eve. And I had a friend who worked for Nordstrom and lived up there. So I went to visit her and go to the game. And the way that they have the, the overhang obviously is it called mm-hmm. quest anymore it I, used to be quest yeah i don't know whatever what it's, it's called now. now the stadium in seattle i don't even know what it's called we should google that steve you want to google I that one time? thank you but they have those overhangs in the stadium that trap the sound so yep. even if it isn't completely full like i was in the um the broadcast booth for the rams radio network and the ground felt like it was shaking it was so loud in there they obviously have the 12th man they called them the 12 so even though it might not be a perfect soccer stadium i bet it feels so loud and feels so energetic in there it is. And because unlike Gillette, you're closer to the pitch than you yeah. are at what it's called Lumen Field, which Lumen, sure, okay. I knew they changed the name. I know it, um, it used to be something different, though. It was because we said what Quest? It's not it Quest. Was Quest. Then it was CenturyLink. And now CenturyLink, it's Lumen. The link, the link, yep, the link. It. There you right. go. So, yes, it's kind of an outlier because it is a great spot, even though it's in a football stadium. Uh, Portland Timbers, another great experience. Every time they score a goal, there's this guy that like saws off a huge piece of the tree and it's, it's just, it's incredible. It's amazing. Um, and I would say soccer, the experience of being a supporter and knowing the chance and being involved in the drum beating and the players clapping, you know, after they come yeah. off the field because they're, you know, thanking you for like all the support, all the game. It's unlike any sport, professional sport for sure. I mean, the closest thing it is, is probably to college football, something like that or college basketball. Right. But I'm glad to get to go to, to, to Kansas City specifically just because they have a absolutely top-notch uh, fan experience. And I've never been. I just heard about it. Well, don't worry. We're going to get you to St. Louis in One 2023. Um, so their supporter section in St. Louis, ours is going to be, I think, double the size, Whoa, no which is going to be awesome. Rag alert. Uh, and don't worry. I happen to know there is going to be some things from a construction standpoint that are going to make it very loud and very visually appealing. So I think it's going to be very top notch here in St. Louis, but you know, we kind of have an advantage because we're starting from scratch and we get mm-hmm. to see what works some places and what didn't necessarily work other places, but it's going to be, I do have one thing though, the way you said baseball was too long. Mm-hmm. I do have one thing about the soccer experience that was I wasn't super into. No, it was not too short. Okay. I actually prefer games that have a, a clock. Um, yeah. 
Which is crazy because I love baseball, but I like to plan my day. So I like to know going in how long this is going to take me, which is crazy because I'm a baseball fan. But they did this amazing thing pregame where the supporter section, uh, you remember when Iowa had the sick child at the hospital that would wave and they would do that? They did something similar because their stadium is tied to the children's hospital. So they had a kid of the game who was at the hospital and he was on the Jumbotron and everyone was cheering for him. And then they did this amazing intro video. They had all of these fireworks going off. I was so hyped. And I kept saying to the people I was with from City SC, I'm like, where are they going to run out? Where are they going to, is it in the corner? Like I need to know where to look. And then they just walk out. Yeah. They don't run out. Oh, see, I like it, that. It felt so anticlimactic because it, <laughs> like everyone is cheering, going bananas. And then they just slowly walked out. It's uh, right in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yep. Right, right in the center of the field. Yeah. So right that center, is yep. now that's probably much cooler. I would imagine they're not doing this right now, but usually there's a quote unquote mascot with you, which is a, just a little kid dressed in a full Jersey. And that's why yeah. they do that. And it's a really cool part of the game. I assume they're not doing that because of COVID maybe. Yeah. Um. So that's why, but also soccer is not the kind of sport where, you know, all that music plays and you can want to run through a wall. Like, football. I don't know. I was ready um, for them to run out. I'm like, let's it's more, it's the beautiful game. It's not like, it's not, it's not a fighting game. It's Joga Bonito. Come on. That's what it is. So it is Joga Bonito, but I also need that energy to stay up. I need movie energy. And no, I get if, that. I get also, that. If you're a soccer player and you're going to run the whole game, don't you want to run out of the tunnel and well, really no, get that adrenaline going? Well, not because you're going to run like five miles total probably throughout <laughs> the entire game, especially if you're like a midfielder. But no, I like that. Here's the difference between Europe and America is that soccer. I mean, there's many differences, but I'm talking specifically about soccer in Europe. That pregame music is not a hype track. It's like the Everton one is like this guy playing a flute. Um, what the hell? Yeah. They're, they're, you know, I think Manchester cities, I want to say is like an Oasis song. You know, it's, they're well, not. Well, Oasis is big in the soccer world. They did Wonderwall, I think, as their, um, I don't know if it's their goal song. Oh, really? But yeah, they were telling me in the press box that this is something that a lot of soccer clubs do is they play Oasis. It's a thing. I I think, I forget if it's Noah or Liam. One of them is a big Manchester City fan. So Manchester City plays their song. But anyway, I say that in Europe, they don't have hype songs to come out of of the pitch to. That's a very American thing. That's a very like hype up. Most of them are these old school, almost like medieval songs. (laughs) And they just slowly walk out and, you know, they clap and whatnot. Some of them are different, but for the most part, it's just an older vibe over there. So that's the melding of two sort of cultures. That's the melding of American sports culture and, and European soccer culture. Yeah, I forget what song it was. Maybe it was like a Kanye Jay-Z watch the throne track. It was something like that that they were playing. And I was like, yes, let's go. Yeah, and you were ready to like I was fight so someone. hyped. Yeah. And then it was like, do, 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 we're coming out. Yeah, hey. <laughs> At midfield. Um, they pick up the ball off the thing. They shake yes, the referee's hand. I was yeah. like, this is so <laughs> yeah, civilized. Yeah. Run through the tunnel yeah. with the fireworks shooting. Give me nah. my Americanized entrance. No, nah, this is proper. Hey. This is a proper sport. That was my only negative, um, but it was an awesome experience. And they did such a great job with that stadium. We walked around, we got the whole tour. Uh, the people at Sporting KC were amazing hosts for us, but they had this really cool bar that was, you had to have a certain ticket or a wristband to get in, but it overlooked the pitch and it was kind of a private area. It, it was like every area that we went to that they showed us was very cool in its own unique way. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. I thought it was so cool and i can't wait for it to happen in st louis the couple greatest sporting experiences of my life have all been soccer matches one 
was uh, USA Turkey on a, it was a it was a World Cup qual not World Cup qual, a World Cup warm up game that was played oh, at nice. Red Bull Arena in New Jersey, which is the New York oh. Red Bull, which is an MLS team. They have a great stadium, soccer specific, um, and it was awesome. The other one was what was it was USA. It was at, is actually at Gillette, so it was a terrible place to watch the game. But it was another U.S. soccer game. I think it was USA Spain, um, and it's just incredible. The chanting, if you know the chants, and you're in like yeah. the camaraderie with all the other people in the stands is unlike any sport. Like no one's doing that at a baseball game. No one's doing that at a basketball game. No one's doing that at a football game. The camaraderie of the supporters group, the fans, and how united everyone is in supporting this team is just unlike anything else. Did they have a TIFO? Last question. Did they have a TIFO. Do you know what a TIFO is? No, they might've, I don't know what that is. They're like a giant, a lot of times hand-drawn things that they raise up in front of the supporter so, shield right before the game. Um, I don't know if they raised it up, but they had a bunch of those above them in okay, the cauldron. Yeah. yeah. So you, usually they'll have, and they'll try to be something intimidating. Like it'll be like a lion or something. So like yeah. this, this giant thing that gets raised up right before the game. So it's, it's meant to intimidate the other team. Uh, which is really cool too. I don't, they don't do that at every game, but a lot of times they do. One more thing that just prompted in my mind, and I want to make sure to tell you, I learned too how much communication and how involved the supporter group is with the team, that there yep. are literally liaisons within the team that communicate things Correct. to the supporter groups because, or the supporter group, um, because yeah, the very NFL's Im- doing that. They don't give a That's shit what, about anybody. Which I thought was incredible because the supporter group will say, we are bringing our drum. We need somewhere to host it. This is where we're doing this. This is what we're thinking. And the team curates that experience for mm-hmm. them, which I thought was amazing because that does not happen in any other sport. It's here's our stadium. Here's what you're going to get to eat. Here's what we're going to play on the Jumbotron. And if you like it, great. If you don't, thanks for your money. I remember I was so mad because it was a U.S. game I wanted to go to that I went to. And I, I always used to bring my flag, which was just on this massive pole. It was a gigantic flag. And it was a uh, liberty or death flag. This is before the Tea Party took over all the cool Civil War and yeah, Revolutionary yeah. War flags. Um, I would not fly that now, but, it, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I wanted, I would bring it into the stadium and my, a bunch of my buddies, like one of them had a, a don't tread on me. And there was a, uh, come and take it. Like all those sick historic flags that again, no arm can be used, but they wouldn't let us bring it in the stadium. I'm like, guys, you have to know this is soccer culture. You can't just deny us flags in the stadium. This is part of what the experience is about. So I was mad about that. So Did not every stadium has that. Something? I don't know. I think it was at Gillette, actually. And Gillette, obviously, is not the most soccer-friendly experience that you can imagine. But um, it was fun otherwise. But the last point on that, if you ever watch, there's a great documentary called, um, this should be an A-plus content. It's called uh, Sunderland Until I Die. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it to you. It's on Netflix. There's two seasons. It is. I actually don't really like sports movies or documentaries, but it's, I think, one of the best ones I've ever seen. It follows this team, Sunderland, who was in the Premier League a couple of years ago, but have since been relegated twice in a row and are now in the third division of English soccer. And actually, right both years, they get relegated in the, um, the documentary itself. But the cool part about it is they show the behind the scenes. They show how this, there's a couple of supporters meetings, right, where all these fans could go sit at a bar with some of the players on the team and yeah. the executives from the team. And it's like a dinner and they all chat about shit that bothers them. And they'll be like, hey, you know, we need this club to be better. Like, we want you to make more signings. And they'll have a legit, they won't really have like an input, but they always can voice their opinions uh, as fans. And the club has to listen to them. Otherwise, the supporters are all united together and obviously won't, maybe won't go to games or won't spend money on things and it's such an incredible tight-knit community especially in england in italy too and i'm sure some other countries but especially in england where these small town clubs 
you know, you could make it to the Premier League, right? And they're still doing, you know, meet and greets with some of the biggest stars yeah. in the world at some random pub down the street. Uh, it's, it's a really cool experience. Well, speaking of that, and A-plus content, Ted Lasso. I don't know if you watched Back. Ted Lasso, which is incredible. I rewatched season one in anticipation of season two, and they meet at the local supporters pub all the time. They, that's right. Ted yep. Lasso, yep, that's a good which example. I think is very cool, but also realistic. That's actually almost exactly what it was like in Sunderland until I died. And they're very similar so type cool. clubs. Yeah. Well, and then remember in Ted Lasso season one, this isn't giving anything away if you haven't seen it. The team goes there for a team meeting at the local pub that has mm-hmm. the supporters there. And she says, you basically have 15 minutes to have this meeting because once everybody finds out you're here, everybody's going to swarm the place. Exactly. And they did, exactly. you know, like Barcelona's not doing this, you know, but a lot of the smaller clubs do. Well, speaking of groups of people, so Rudy sent me this fascinating article that he found about friendships and specifically friendships post-pandemic. So Steve, since you've read it, break this out for people on how friendships have shifted during this time. Yeah. So it's on Axios, which I think does a good job of writing sort of short form, very easy to consume think pieces, articles, whatever you want to call them. Um, And this one caught my eye and it's called One Big Thing, The Friendship Crisis. The number of close friendships that Americans has declined over the past several decades. And they have a graph showing 1990 compared to 2021. And in 1990, 33% of people said that they had 10 or more very good friends, close friends, not counting relatives, close friends. 30, ten, so a third of the population of this country said they had 10 or more close friends. Okay. That seems high. <laughs> uh, and now that's dropped to 13%. And if you look at the graph, essentially... 12% now say they have none currently in, in 2021 compared to okay. only 3% in 1990. Um, so we're, we're dropping on one side and growing on exactly. the Exactly. So people are having less friends, essentially, is what this graph is saying. There are less close friends or people that are considered close friends in their circle compared to 30 years ago. And I'm just looking, you know, you go down this list, 2021, for example, 12% of people said they have no close friends. say they have one, 13% said they have two, 17% said they have three, all the way up to 10 or more, you know, now is only 13%. In 1990, anywhere from one, two, or three, those were all in the single digits of percentage. Most people had five, six, 10 or more friends, close friends in 1990 compared to, you know, now obviously it's much less. And I don't know if that's surprising, not surprising. And they have a couple of theories as to why, which we can get to in a second. I have always been very vocal that I have four close friends and that is all that I am capable of having. I'm sorry. If I got more, if I had a fifth friend, I would be stretched too thin and I wouldn't be a good friend. I know my friend limit. So it's four. It's always been four. It's like Drake, no new friends. I don't have any room, man. I'll be friendly with someone, but they're not going to be a close friend to me. I know what my cap is. So are you in the same group? You seem like you probably have more friends than me though more close friends. Well, all your friends, your core friends are in the same group. We are all in the same group. Correct? Yes. So I think that I have more than four close friends and they're in different groups. If that makes sense. I have yep. one really close friend. And so I'm in this group and within this group of friends, I'm close with closer with one person. And within this group of friends that I have, I'm closer with one person. So all there. those people aren't your close friends though. So they are, but I would say in this group of close friends, I have one best friend or I have two best friends. Well, that's another thing that comes up is best friends. We'll get that in a second. But then if you were to put a number on the amount of close friends that you have, like I said, mine's four. Yours is what? 10 or more? Is it 10 or more? I would say 10 or more. Okay. I think this is a male-female thing too. I say close friends and my 
definition of that is someone that I speak to a lot and someone that if something went down in my life would show up and vice versa. Because I think there's a lot of people that you're friendly with, a lot of people that you kiki with, a lot of people that are fringe friends or even acquaintances that if, if shit went down in your life, you're not picking up the phone to call them. There's a certain smaller number of people that if things go down, you're calling them. And I would say there's, let me mentally count really quick. 10 seems like so many. You're definitely on your second hand at this point. I got to eight very easily. And there's, I, oh, I so forgot you're her. 10. I'm about 10. So you're one of the 13% of people who have 10 or more friends. I would be 11% of people have four, have four friends like me. Now, this goes on to say like new research shows that Americans have fewer friends than in the past and are less likely to have a best friend. I don't have a best friend. I don't. Do you? Um, I do. Yeah. I have one, one, person. one person who is your best friend. I'm yeah. not trying to be like sappy here, but like Maddie's my best friend, but that doesn't really count. Oh, right. No, I'm not trying that. to do this. Cause no, this that's is, so sweet. no, 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 but <laughs> it, it so just sweet. is. That's the way it is. But my guy friends, the core group of four, I wouldn't put any of them higher. We're all kind of equal. It's weird. When I had my wedding, I was supposed to, I didn't have a best man at my wedding. I had yeah. guys do different roles, right? I had one guy had the ring. One guy set up the bouncer party. Like I gave them all different things to do. And I didn't yeah. have a best man. Cause I just didn't think it would be fair to pick one because they're all on level playing yeah. So I, if I ever get married, wouldn't want bridesmaids because I don't want to say you you people are more important than anyone else. But I do have one singular best friend that I would like to either stand up there or do something within the wedding. A reading or something, Or at the end, give a speech. There's one person Mm -hmm. that knows that they're going to get the call and that's what they need to do. But it's hard for me because I have friends from high school. I have girlfriends from college. I have friends from post-college. I have really close friends from work. I have my cousins that I'm super close to. I have another group of girlfriends that I've made in adulthood that I'm super close with and get together with all the time. And I often think, yes, your friends that you were friends with in grade school, high school, childhood, college, you are bonded together forever. There's time on your side. But sometimes friends that you make in adulthood stick more because you're fully formed when you meet them and you're making a choice. I have a million options of people to hang out with and I choose you. See, I know I'm in the minority. My friends are all high school friends and we've just always been on the same page for life. Now, you know, one of them lives in Chicago. One of them is in Boston. We've moved all over and have different things and we all are not the same. We, we typically have the same interests, but politically we're in different places. And, and I actually like that in a friend group because mm-hmm. we're not all the same. We're all very different. We bring different things to the table. So when we have a group chat about issues or things or whatever, it actually is popping because we have a, most people that check all the boxes, right? right. So I, I know I'm in the minority of that. But again, I wouldn't say that any of them are my best friend. But as, as I continue to read here, because there's a couple of bullet points that I want to go over that are good too. So they say, why does this matter? At a time of, of excruciating mental and societal stress, Uh, This is another sign that we're breaking apart and the friendship drought could get even worse uh, with more people working remotely or hybridly. I think that has a lot to do with it, right? We've obviously seen less people in 2020 and 2021 than we normally do. I don't know if you would necessarily lose friends during that time, but you're certainly not really making any friends uh, over Zoom, over Zoom calls. I mean, maybe some of you are, congrats to you out there, but the vast majority of us are not making friends over Zoom. And there are a couple findings here. This is from the a survey from the Center on American Life. Our number of close friends has declined considerably from 30 years ago when 33% of adults reported having 10 or more close friends, not counting close relatives. Now 13% say that. 
1990, 75% of people said they had a best friend. This year, just 59%. That's also dropped again. And they, they want to say, like, we, re- we realize the importance of friendship. We're not just um, investing our time, our vulnerabilities, our interests, and all these things come out when we're making friends. What do you think this has to do with? Because I kind of think this is just social media. I wonder if this has a lot. And we've talked a lot about social media on the show. And we were talking about before how annoyed we get with Twitter at times and how much we think it's just volatile and, and not a good place to be. I mean, just using the Simone Biles stuff, for example, that went down where she said she was having mental health issues and she stopped. What was it? I forget what the event was, but it was a In team event at the ball at, uh, at the Olympics. And, you know, you have people on one side screaming, oh, she's a quitter. She's terrible. And the other people saying she's a hero. This is the greatest accomplishment of her career. And the truth is it's somewhere in the middle. But I think because of social media, we butt heads with so many people on a daily basis. I wonder if it's harder for us to, to actually make friends now, especially online. I mean, you could do it in person, but we're so combative now. And I think we're more combative than we were in 1990. I agree with that. I also think, think about us in high school. If you had no plans on a Saturday, you're going to call up your friends and see what they're doing. You want to go hang out with people. Yep. You don't know what they're doing. So you have to call them and see what's up. Now on a Saturday, if you wake up and you don't have plans, you open up your Instagram and you're like, Saruti's at the farmer's market. Maddie's at a workout class. It's almost like social media has made us voyeurs into other people's social lives. And I think that that sometimes is detrimental because you waste so much time watching other people do stuff that you might not take the time to reach out to other people. How Mm -hmm. many times has somebody said, hey, I went to I went to the Yankees Red Sox game and they're like, oh, yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I saw it on Instagram. You don't have to call people to catch up with them and then make plans to hang out because you see what everyone is doing 24 seven. So there's no need to call people and catch up because you're seeing what's happening in real time. Yeah. But you're not, I don't know if that's true because you're not catching up with those people. We're talking about your close friends, the people that you would be going to these events with, not the people that you would be like, what's up, what's up in your daily life. Like I've never been and never will be a Hey, let's let me call you to catch up. I'm just not. I'm sorry. It's just not in my what? personality. I don't like phone calls. Um, not even I, your core. I, I keep in touch with people. Well, we're in touch on a day to day basis. We know what's going on yeah. in those lives because we're very open, and it's kind of like this text chain group chat bubble that we have. And there are like subsects of that, which is interesting too. Like where three of us will be in one, and you know, just based on other interests and. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is too, like we a hundred percent talk shit about each other behind everyone's back, but that's part of being a friend too. And I think everybody knows that. I don't know. I think, I think your thing about catching up with people, I don't think you're catching up with good friends. I think you're catching up with fringe friends more than you would people that you're more likely to go to the baseball game with a close friend, not catch them up on how you went to a baseball game. Well, if I hadn't seen someone, one of my friends in a week, I would normally call them and say, what's up? What have you been really? up to? Oh, all yeah. of your I'm 10 a, friends, phone, your 10 friends, I'm a friends, phone call girl though. I'm a phone call person. All of your 10 friends, you, you're a weekly call check-in person with. I have a list of people that I call every week. I go on a walk almost yeah. every day and I call someone almost every single that's, day. That's exhausting to hear. <laughs> I, yeah, I, but I am a bad texter. I am a notoriously Same. bad texter. I, I look down at my phone. Let me tell you how many texts I have right now. Okay. The red bubble says 32. I have oh my 32. God, you're one of those people. No, no, no. That's just from the past three hours. I'm constantly getting texts about the show or I'm on all these group chats. And you know what I do? I don't even read them. I don't even read them half the time. I am notoriously bad at text. So if I want to catch up with you, I will call you and we'll actually have a real conversation. Yeah. See, we're not, none of us are phone call people, unfortunately. Well, this development, I guess we can say, and people's friend circles is scary to me, Steve, because 
I think a lot of people post pandemic have gotten very comfortable with isolation. I think at the beginning it was very jarring for people, but I think now, I mean, as someone that has a very active social calendar, probably too active, I need to learn how to say Tyler. no more. It's not even a flex. I just, I do, I have a hard time saying so no. Many friends. Oh my God. It's oh my amazing. God. I'm so, it's not my fault. I'm so popular. No. <laughs> Try to make fetch work. All right. Crunch your Um. Anyway, I have friends who were single during the pandemic and spent a lot of time alone. And now when they go out, they get very overwhelmed and very exhausted by it. And they just have gotten comfortable in their life alone at home and really through social media in a lot of ways, like that's their connector. They talk to a lot of people on Instagram, their Instagram chat and things like that. And I wonder if that's something that we're going to see continue. And that's kind of a sad thought. It is sad. It's funny though. I have almost the exact opposite reaction. Like I'm very introverted, right? I don't, before the pandemic, I didn't love, I would go out, but it was, I wasn't like the social butterfly. I would typically my good night, you know, Friday night for me would be like at home watching a movie, eating some popcorn, (laughs) having a drink. And I have sort of found that because of the pandemic now, and now that things are sort of open again, although who knows where we're going now, but I wanted to go out more. I, I was seeking out friendship and people that weren't even in my circle of four, you know, to be like, I'd be like, Maddie, let's go hang out with these people. And then I would never do that before. So it's almost yeah. had like the reverse um, effect on me, which is very strange. I also think that because I'm a dude and I play video games, I was able to like digitally hang out with my friends a lot by playing Call of Duty or FIFA or whatever online. And I would still be able to talk to them like at least once a week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that outlet. But for people that didn't have that and certainly obviously were single or, you know, were in a place where they didn't have a lot of friends or whatever, didn't have the the video game or digital assets that I did. <laughs> What's up? Shout out FIFA. It's actually good for me for one thing. I could see why that would be a really big problem. I think you're onto something. I think people are probably now comfortable and almost feel weird assimilating back into society. I went to a bridal shower recently and I was pooped by the end. And I said to one of my girlfriends that was there, I go, I forgot how exhausting it is to make conversation with people. Yeah. To, you know, people that aren't in your core group, where normally in situations like that, I love catching up with people and I love the chit chat. I was so tired afterwards. And I'm like, I haven't done this in a long time. It's exhausting. It's performative, right? You're on. And I know that I do that for three hours every day, but it's a different kind of on when you're in person. And I think for some people, they have an experience like that. And they're like, I don't have it in me right now to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's like a muscle that you need to work out and it hasn't been worked out in a while and you're not strong anymore. Yeah, we need to build it up again. But you know what the good news is, Steve, is that everyone that listens to this podcast, everyone in the small tech family, the Shelleys, we're all friends. So yeah, no, hopefully we provided some friendship through some weird times. Not that I'm not trying to sit here and say that we are killing it and saving the world. But <laughs> I feel like a lot of people say this podcast is just like friends talking. And um, hopefully that was at least somewhat helpful in what was a weird 18 months for everybody. And you know what? You know that we're really friends here, all of the Shelleys, because we get pushback from things. No, so we, yeah. got, we got messages from people last pod that did not like that, that we said we would not go for the 5'7 guy as opposed to the big guy. I know. Do we, we want to get into that? I don't that. even know. No, but, we don't have time. Maybe yeah, another sorry. time. Hard out. But, hard out. But I like that people reach out to us. They're like, I love the pod, but you guys need to give the 5'7 guy more love. I get a lot of hate for saying I like big guys, and I've never been with a big guy. Certainly, that's not the case now. And I just think that it's kind of a joke, people. Like, it's tongue-in-cheek, the attractive thing. You don't need to send me hate because I said I would like a big and tall guy. Yeah, it would be one thing if I was like, I only like tens, but you're like, I like fat, I like bigger guys. <laughs> like, what is that even? That's not even, you know, I don't know. It's just different. 
but honestly, I actually don't mind people calling us out. I don't mind. Honestly, keep us in check. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I don't. I definitely fuck shit up, and I probably get things wrong. I mean, remember if everybody got mad at me because I said because I said you were thotting out? Like I don't know. Maybe yes. it was the wrong line. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah. So my bad. I guess. I mean, it wasn't malicious, but it's okay. You can call us out. Hit us up on Instagram. You know, tell us. Hey, this was stupid, but we like the show. That's what I appreciate, though, is because that sparked a good conversation because you said that you said I was thotting out in a positive way. Yeah, I thought it was a compliment. People took it in a negative way. (laughs) Yeah. So there you go. Isn't that 2021 in a nutshell right there? But no, seriously, it's all good. If you think something's stupid or you think we screwed up or whatever, or, or if you like the show, let us know. Yeah, let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Steve underscore Saruti, correct? On Instagram? Yeah, I think so. I always forget. And at Saruti on Twitter. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at msmallman, even though I'm not very active. So there you go. Heads up on that. If you want to tweet me, I will not respond. We'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Eventually we will get there. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Steve and I will be back in action next week. But until then, steer clear of the t-shirt cannon. And baseball's back. Kind of. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.